This podcast is part of the Everyday Heroes Podcast Network, the network for first responders and those who support them. Silver and gold. Silver and gold. Okay, it's Christmas season, mm-hmm. and this year, because we're getting tapped on subject matter, mm-hmm. Laura and I decided to do gift giving to mm-hmm. each other, and we decided we were going to pick subjects that we wanted the other to investigate. Yes. So, Laura wanted me to investigate silver and gold. Mm-hmm. Well, silver and gold. I do like jewelry. I know I'm not getting any, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no many years I've asked. It never happens. So she wants to know the medicinal forms of silver and gold. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to cover silver first. Well, you hear about it. Like, they use silver and gold. What? What the fuck yeah. do we use well, silver and gold you're going to find out, Laura. Right. And I'll tell you, silver wasn't so bad. Gold was a fucking nightmare. Yeah, well. I hated it. It's more expensive. And you know what? Actually, my other Christmas gift is going to be, I'm going to try to get through this whole episode, and I'm not going to swear again. Okay. Because it's just, I really have a mouth like a truck driver. That's more like a Lent thing. <laughs> And usually I give it up for Lent. Today we're going to try. It's not going to work, but I'm going to try. Okay. Okay. We try. Silver. Mm -hmm. Silver and medicine go back to at least 4,000 BC. Oh. With Hipp... I'm never going to say his name right. Is it Hippocrates? 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 Whatever. The guy, the father of modern medicine. That guy. Hippos. He wrote about the use of silver in wound care in 400 BC. Hippocrates. Hippocrates, yes. The Mm -hmm. Hippocratic Oath. There you go. Hippocrates. There's literature in the 17th and 18th centuries speaking about the bactericide activity of silver. Oh. 1800s, silver nitrates used to treat burns, ulcerations, and infected wounds. Mm-hmm. In the early 1800s, surgeons are using silver sutures to help minimize post-op infection. Oh. Later in the 1800s, silver nitrate eye drops are introduced Ooh. as an antiseptic eye drop for little babies with conjunctivitis. That sounds terrible. It sounds burning. Yeah. Really burning. Yeah. World War One soldiers would take silver leaf into battle to help fight infection in the trenches, which were nasty. That's something we should cover about all the shit that happened in the trenches. Um, it was commonly used to treat sore throats and tonsillitis. And after the introduction of antibiotics in the 20s, the use of silver declined. But in 1960, Professor Carl Moyer recognized the benefit of silver salts and burns, and it brought silver back. Uh. I'm bringing silver back. Mm-hmm. So why is silver so great? Yeah. Well, it's complicated, Laura. Let me tell you. It's complicated. Okay. Okay. So when you get into silver and gold, we get into these compounds and ions and electrons, which I'm going to try to do some little justice to, but don't uh-huh. don't expect much. Uh-huh. So if you want to know why I use Wikipedia all the time, because it takes all these complicated things and breaks it down in a way that I can understand. <laughs> So silver and silver compounds have an oligodynamic effect, which it is toxic to bacteria, algae, and fungi. Oh. The effectiveness of silver compounds, this is straight from Wikipedia, uh-huh. FYI. Mm-hmm. The effectiveness of silver compounds as an antiseptic is based on the ability of the biologically active silver ion to universally damage the enzyme systems in the cell membrane of the bacteria. Wow. So... When you read the other one, other stuff, and you put it all together, I'm going to dumb this way, way down. Mm-hmm. The silver ions create like an electric field that fry up the bacteria. Oh. That's basically what happens. Yeah. So how is it used today, Laura? Well, yeah. let me tell you how it's used today since you asked. 
up until about 2017, it was the major fight against burns. As you know, they would yes. come down. Um, burn patients would, they're covered head to toe in gauzes that are soaked in silver nitrate. Mm-hmm. And the silver nitrate oxidizes in the light. So they'd come down and the dressings would be brown. Yeah. The beds would be brown. Mm-hmm. The covering of the beds were brown. Mm-hmm. So starting in 1960 with Dr. Carl Moyer, he realized that gauze bandages soaked in silver nitrate solution are used on partial and full thickness burns. Mm-hmm. It's believed to reduce the water loss from the burn surface as well as the um, provide antimicrobial protection. Protection. Mm-hmm. Protection. Okay, then they tweaked it because they were finding it was sucking out too much fluid. So back and forth, back and forth. And it's tweaked enough that burn treatment, and it's still considered today, like there's new medications for burn treatment out there. But if you're in a third world country or a developing country and you don't have access to these medications, they will still rely on silver nitrate um, as a way of um, protecting your burns. In 2018, a review found that silver-containing dressings increased the probability of healing from venous ulcers. So people with oh. leg ulcers and stuff, they are using silver-lined dressings for that. Um, the 2014 study shows that patients treated with silver dressings had a quicker healing time than those who did not. Wow. And they also had faster wound closures. Really? Yes. Wow. A major hospital-acquired infection mm-hmm. is ventilator-associated pneumonia. Also known as vape or vap. Vape, vap. Okay. So now they use silver-coated ET tubes to help prevent pneumonia. Ventilator-assisted pneumonia. The tubes alone will not prevent it, but this shown with um, other strategies is helping reduce this infection. They've also done studies on silver-coated urinary catheters. Yes. Which we have. Yeah. Uh, for the prevention of UTIs. A uh, 2014 systemic review concluded they don't see much of a difference, but another study's like, oh, it makes a huge difference. So they're still fighting that back and forth. Mm-hmm. And the thing is that these catheters are expensive. Yeah. So clearly, you're not going to get one. Mm-hmm. All right. So um, they've also found that uh, studies have shown that medications used to treat enfalaria, remember, that brain-eating bacteria oh, yeah. you get from the water. Yeah. And a, don't even ask me. Like Acanthomoeba castellani. It's a um. It cause it's a parasitic encephalitis. When you take those medication medications and you pair them with silver nanoparticles, mm-hmm. they are much more effective. Mm. But silver does have some adverse effects. Okay. The human body has no biological use for silver, and when your body doesn't have any use for silver, mm-hmm. it deposits it. Mm-hmm. So, if it is inhaled, injected, ingested, or applied topically, it will irreversibly accumulate in the body. When it accumulates, it mainly accumulates in the skin. Mm-hmm. When something in the skin accumulates like silver and it is exposed to sunlight, it turns a bluish gray yeah. permanently. You cannot get rid of it. Oh. And this is known as argyria. So, you can't, it will deform you. It doesn't. You can't give people massive amounts of silver because they're going to. Okay. And that's why in the 1800s they stopped using a lot of silver because patients were getting deformed from it. So that information comes from Wikipedia. Surgical infections, 2013, February issue 14, pages 8 through 20. And the global source, the Silver Institute. Nice. All right. That's Thank silver. You. 
That's, I we're think break that's up. very interesting. I thought it was very it's, interesting. It's antimicrobial. Then. It's that's antimicrobial. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a, what do they call that? Like an inert metal. It yeah. doesn't grow anything. It just, so yeah, you yeah, that's weird. I didn't, I never realized that. Mm, wait till I get to gold. Go ahead. Learning something every day. Nicole asked, <laughs> which I don't know why, because I know she knows this. But I love to hear about it. <laughs> and I want to hear what you come up with, your spin. Well, it's really, uh, um, <laughs> wow me, Laura, wow me. It's, she wanted to know about the death of Rasputin. Because it's very disputed. Well, it's that's the thing. It's very disputed. <laughs> so I want to hear all so I don't know if any, any of this is true. true. But I'd love to hear like what happened. All right. So I got this from Stuff You Should Know podcast from the June 3rd, 2017 episode. Um, and the Rasputin murder in the Zaz Court video. from It's on IMDb TV. I find him one of the most fascinating characters in history. Like he literally is a character. He, he was a drunk. He it's was like a he's slut. not real. Like, I don't think he was real. That's what I mean. Like, he does. Yeah. He, he's crazy. He's just crazy. So, go ahead. So, Rasputin, or the Mad Monk, as they call him. <laughs> um, Gregory Rasputin, which was not his actual last name. They changed it to that, like, when he was, like, a teenager or something. And, and then, like, Russian, it means, like, the debauchery or something. Like, it, it's oh, because so he's, like, a, a piece of shit. Terrible person. <laughs> Um, so Grigory Rasputin was born on January 22nd, 1869 in Siberia. Oh, I didn't realize he was like... Young? So young? Yeah. No, like 1869 was kind of old. Yeah. Because well, the Tsar's in the 20s of like 1917. Just seems so far away, doesn't it? No. Right. It's like now if you were born in 1969. Shh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to hear that kind of talk, yeah. Laura. He's born in Siberia, which is like a Iceland... With nothing there. Yeah, with, it's hideous. It's awful. It's He's born to a poor family. It's an impoverished area of Russia. Um, from an early age, he was deeply religious and found to have special healing powers. When he was like eight, he was really, really ill with pneumonia. And, you know, they think he's going to die. And his mother dressed him up as St. Anthony for a year. <laughs> no. <laughs> but he had a vision of a beautiful woman that came to him. Of course And he got woman. better. And this monk that was visiting the town at the time, or a priest or whatever you want to call them, um, decided he saw the Virgin Mary. This kid is a seer. So See, I've never he heard was, this part, Laura. He was on a path from then forward. <laughs> so he was believed to have healing powers. He was thought to be a seer, a mystic, a healer. Um, this monk that visited the town that heard he had this vision, he's like, you got to come with me to the monastery because you are special. You have you have you're divine touched power. By God. Yeah, touched you're touched by, by God. You're coming to the monastery to study to become a monk. Um, the religion that this monk or priest was known was studied was known as um, Kist. It's like K H Y S T. Rasputin studies it, and then he kind of perverts the teachings. So the teachings, <laughs> the the religion thought like you know sex is bad, which most right. religions teach you know like sex is bad. You shouldn't have sexual thoughts. Blah blah blah. So they did self flagellation. Oh. Okay. When they had sexual desires or something. Rasputin, supposedly, again, this is all supposedly. Okay. Um, supposedly, <laughs> Rasputin then turns this belief into, if you have sexual desires, the only way to rid them and to be sin-free is to, like, sex it right out of you. So you got to have a ton <laughs> of sex to get rid of your sexual desire. So he's, like, in, like, he's... Oh, he's something. Oh, yeah. He's, like, no, you got to just keep having sex. Keep having sex. Have sex with as many people as you can. To get this oh. drive out of you. Oh, okay. But I don't know how that works. Um, I don't either. He was also have said to have told people that having sex with him would purify them. 
So if their wife was sinful, if he had sex with her, she would then be pure. Oh, he's gross too. Again, I don't know if this is true. This is what was said. He leaves the monastery. He never becomes a monk. Shocker. Um, He does go home to Siberia. He gets married at 19 and he has four kids. Oh. Yeah, I never knew he had kids. Oh, today. Oh, his grandkids. One of them lives in like LA or something like this. Are you this. serious? Oh yeah, they're like a lot. Could you imagine grandpa Not as cute as your fucking grandfather? Grandkid. Yeah, I did again. There you go. Um, they of course have a different take on all of this, but um, he is um like, but he's still unsettled. He's married, has kids, but he's like, I'm not. I don't want to sit here and live yeah. in Siberia and keep having sex with one woman. <laughs> um, so <laughs> he starts to travel all over Russia. He even walks from like Siberia to like Palestine. Oh my Locks. god! Like on a journey, yeah, like, like a, a pilgrimage. Yeah, pilgrimage. Um, he then he starts to travel all over Russia as a like a self-proclaimed religious man, um, or a staret. That's what they call it. It's like a religious advisor, mm-hmm. almost. And back then, they were people, and they were they were called starets, and they were like people. They would just they were kind of like crazy people, and they would go around like <laughs> shouting their beliefs and sh- and they would like honored. Like, they were like, oh, they revered them. They, like, listened to them. Like, now you'd be like, you're a lunatic. Yeah. But they, like... Just five bucks, go to Dunkin' Donuts. Yeah, they, like, honored them. Um, he eventually lands in St. Petersburg, which is, like, the exact opposite of Siberia. It's where all the wealth in Russia is. Like, ev- all the palaces are there. That is where the royal Families. people live. The Tsar, Tsar Nicholas II and Tsarina Alexandra live in St. Petersburg. It's the rich, the richest of the rich. It's like L.A. The yeah. LA of Russia. Um, the Tsar and Tsarina had... I have to tell you about them to tell you about recipes. Because they're all wrapped in together. Yeah. The Tsar and Tsarina had four children, three daughters, and then they had the golden son, Alexei. <laughs> um, however, Alexei had hemophilia. Inbreeding. The, the Tsarina was deeply religious, and her goal in life was to, bro- to provide an heir and to keep him alive. Mm-hmm. And now he has hemophilia, so it's really hard to keep him alive, especially back then. Um... So when word of Rasputin, because he's now in St. Petersburg, gets to the Tsarina and she hears he's a healer. Um, she could have some of that. Yeah. She she meets him because she needs to talk to him because he's a healer. He's a seer. He's a religious man. And then Alexei falls off a horse and has internal bleeding. She calls Rasputin, come to the palace. She doesn't really know this guy. Yeah. Come to the palace. He comes. He's like, yeah, I'll be there. Like, very nonchalant, very calm. Gets to the palace, talks to Alexei. Alexei recovers. So now the Zarina thinks he has now healed Alexei. She needs him with her all the time because he can save this kid's life. In reality, he most likely helped Alexei because he's very calm. And they said when he talked, it was like he was always telling a story. So kids love to listen to him. Women love to listen to him. Like, people hung on every word just because of the way he spoke. Mm-hmm. He was a, what do you call it? Like, he was a charlatan. <laughs> yeah, but all like a, you know, like a smooth talker. Yeah. Like, he was a smooth talker. People just loved to hear him talk. So, whatever he said was great. But, um, but so they think, really, he just helped him relax because the Zyrena was like, I'm not, like, yeah. he's bleeding. He's sick. He's going to die. The doctors were probably nervous because if he dies, we're probably going to get killed. And, you know, right. like, so everybody's in a tizzy that this kid's hurt. And he comes in very calm and he talks to Alexei and he brings his anxiety down, which brings his heart rate down, which brings his blood pressure down, which, which brings the bleeding, the bleeding down. down. Yeah. So that's probably what actually happened. It also brings his pain down because it is painful. And if you're more relaxed, you're in less mm-hmm. pain. So he didn't cure him. But the Zarina in her head 
that's it. He's the savior. Um, he called the czar and the czarina mama and papa. They That's thought it weird. was like an endearment, but I, people who study history are like, he was like making fun of them. Mm-hmm. Okay, mama and papa. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like he... Condescending. Condescending. He lived in a five-room apartment in the palace with security guards, like watching over it. He hung, He hangs with all their friends. He's like in there in a circle at all the parties, at all oh the God. craziness. He was treated like family. He became a very trusted advisor because everything he said was Imagine all wonderful. the sex he was having in the palace. Can't imagine. So they even said like, because the Tsar and the Tsarina like trusted him so much and he was, whatever he said was right. So if he said, oh, your wife, I think your wife has a problem. I should sleep with her <gasps> to heal her. Their friends were afraid to say no. Because, because then the Zah would turn on them. Right, like, so right. they wanted to be in the Zah's good grace. So they would be like, yeah, okay, go ahead. Like, yeah, sure. He, whatever, he could spin like anything, this guy. Um, again, those are not sure if they're true, but that's right. what's been said. Um, so they all fawn all over him. Whatever he says is pure truth and they need to do. The extended family and the government are less than thrilled yeah. with this like charlatan in the palace. Having the year of the king. Yeah. They think he's a pervert, a crazy person, um, and he's getting way too powerful. The prime minister, Peter Stolovin, wants him out of the Zazia. He's like, he needs to stop talking to him because he's insane and who the hell is he? Um, <laughs> he starts to get a case against him to like bring to the court or whoever was then. But he's shot and killed at the opera before <gasps> he can bring it to court. And it's thought that the Tsar may have had a hand in that because he was Ooh. talking bad about um, Rasputin. Interesting. So early 1910s, the world's a mess. It's like a goddamn mess. Russia's not doing well. There's like the industrial revolution, mm-hmm. right? So they, all these working class people are working in factories. They're being like killed, maimed, mm-hmm. hurt. They're getting paid nothing. They're starving. They're poor. Um, and they all start to speak up about how resentful they are of this government. You have all this money. You have, live in these palaces and we're, look at, we're starving on the yeah. streets. Um, there's like little uprisings going on. There's Bloody Sunday, which, like, I have like thousands and thousands of these factory workers went and stood outside the palace. They wanted to give a note, like, you have to do something. Right. There's something wrong. And there was an order to shoot. shoot. And it was like, like hundreds of people died. And it was a big problem. Um, Lenin and the Bolsheviks, some oh, of these voices. Up a lot of shit. So everything's yeah. starting to like Hit fall apart. And he, the world thinks, the Tsar and the Tsarina are completely out of touch. Mm-hmm. Complete, they live in their little palace. And with they probably all their... were completely out of touch. Oh, yeah. Well, he they said the Tsar said, like, in the beginning, like, I have no idea about politics, about economy, like, nothing. But God wants me to do this, so I guess I have to. Like, he, yeah, he didn't, didn't want really to want do it, it he but really he, ha- it. he felt he had to do it. But um, World War One is starting at this time. Like, all these other countries mm-hmm. are getting in it. Um, the Tsar and the Tsarina are seen as totally out of touch, like I just said. When Russia joins World War One, it's kind of by mistake. The Tsar put troops like on a border, but just to be on the border because they were, right. you know, other countries were coming in, coming to that border. So he just put them there. But somehow the general or whoever there thought he said to engage in war, but he didn't. He just put them there, and that's and how they got in involved war. in the war. Yeah, it, they were like complete. It was a shit show. They had no oh idea what they God. were doing. So, anyways. So when the, Russia does join World War One by accident, um, <laughs> the Tsar goes to war to head the army. So he leaves and he's at war. Yeah. 
And he knows nothing about war either. Yeah, he has no idea what he's doing. But that leave he leaves the Tsarina in charge, and her right hand man is Rasputin. Um, he puts his friends in high paying government jobs. He gets the people that know like a little bit of what's going on in the government out. They're fired. He puts his friends in. They get like so all his friends and buddies are in charge. All his weird friends that have nothing to do with anything are now in charge of the country that is at war. Um, everything falls to shit. There's no armories are built. To support the war. war efforts. The people are starving. Like literally starving in the street. The trains stop running. Oh. Like they didn't have coal or what. Like they are, yeah. nothing's running supplies. in this country. So they can't get anything to anybody. It's a the whole country's like shut down. And people like now they're fed up. They're done. They're losing their minds. Um, One day a woman stabs Rasputin in the stomach. She gets to him. His intestines are, like, hanging out. He has to have a huge surgery. He recovers for months. Of course he recovers. It was, yeah. She was actually sent by a monk that used to be friends with Rasputin and now feels like, okay, you have to be stopped. But he lives. Um, The extended family are now bullshit because they can see the writing on the wall and they're like, we're done. Like, this is a problem. The country hates us. Like, well, hates them and in context us. Rasputin's got to go because now everything's his fault. Even though... The czar and whoever, they haven't been doing shit for years. Right. They kind of just let everything fall to shit. But now it's all Rasputin's fault that this is ha- I mean, he didn't help. <laughs> so they're only blaming I mean, him. let's as- call it what it is. Right. He, uh- he didn't help any. He helped the downfall along. But they're like, no, it's his fault. He needs to be finished. Hopefully we can mm-hmm. recover. So on December 30th, 1916, Prince Felix... Yusupov? I'm not going to say these right. <laughs> Sounds like a disease. Prince Felix, I'm going to go with. He's the husband of the Tsar's niece and the gay lover of great Duke Dmitry Romanov, oh, who is goodness. the heir to the throne if Alexei dies. Oh. He conspires with a couple other guys, including the great Duke, um, to kill Rasputin. He invites Rasputin to his house to meet and heal his wife. I don't know if he was what he was going to do to heal well, his wife. Well, if he's got a gay lover, I'm sure that she needs something. Yeah. So he goes to the palace where Rasputin lives at like midnight because he knows the gods aren't like on duty, mm-hmm. whatever. Picks Rasputin up, <laughs> drives him to his house. Um, when he when they get to the house, Rasputin's told, "Oh, my wife's with her friends still, mm-hmm. like in the drawing room. We'll go down the basement and wait for her." So they go down to the basement. This house house this palace that felix lives in is insane. ridiculous ridiculous they show pictures of it it's i mean it looks like nothing on the outside and then the inside it's so ornate there's gold everywhere it's all over the walls there's a theater in there they still use that holds 200 people and it was you in imagine? no it was in this guy's house so it's like not like going to the basement you go to a dungeon it's like a huge <laughs> he's in a palace yeah it's a huge room and it's not like yeah oh, let's go to the basement and it's gross <laughs> Um, like where we're recording nothing right. this is gross yeah, by any means go sit very, in the basement it's not huge yeah. <laughs> um, as Rasputin's waiting he's given this is Felix's story this okay. is his version of the story as Rasputin's waiting he was given pies and wine that were poisoned oh um oh, later on because Felix do you, you know, know what the poison is um it said two different things potassium something in one and cyanide in another I don't like god only whatever they used to poison people back then <laughs> um well, I get into it in our other Christmas episode, what they were using to poison everybody, oh, apparently. So they have no effect on Rasputin. These pies and this wine. No no effect. 
So Felix goes in to the next room where the co-conspirators are waiting. He's like, I don't know what's going on, but he's not dying. Like, he's not passing out. There's something wrong. Shit, shit. Yeah. What are we doing so now? So starts to panic. Because now they got this guy who's very powerful yeah. in the house. They have to do something. So they decide they need to move things along. So Felix goes back into the room and Rasputin is apparently looking at some ornate cross on the wall. And he shoots him in the back. Oh. Rasputin drops. They think he's dead. They're like, okay. One story says they go upstairs to party with the wife and the friends. One story says, like, they go outside to get rid of his Rasputin's coat and boots and all that shit, which never disappear because they find them. But it, I don't know where they went, but they left the room for a little while, thinking he's dead. Come back to, like, get rid of him. They go over. They're like, oh, he's still warm. <laughs> Rasputin gets up. Are you kidding attacks me? Attacks Felix, runs up the stairs and out to the backyard. Okay, so we've had cyanide now. And he's been he's shot. shot in the back. He's like Mike Myers. Yeah. So now he's running across the yard yelling, Felix, I'm going to tell the Tsarina what you did. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling mom. No. I'm telling mom and papa. So he's running across the yard. They're panicking. One of the guys shoots twice, misses both times. Then they shoot him. They shoot him again in the back twice and once in the head. Okay. He finally, he drops. I was like, don't tell me he he's still like taken off now. No. They then go over and beat him with a club. Ooh. Um, they yeah, wrap harsh. him tightly in a blanket, like a, they mummy wrap him. They throw him in the Great Duke's car. They drive to some <laughs> river that's... The Great Duke's car. Yeah, yeah. They drive him to some river that's not near the palace. The river's frozen because it's December in Russia. In Russia. It's terrible. They like drill a hole, drop him into the river. That river is supposed to run out to the sea. But that night, the current was going the other way. So he gets stuck What are the up. chances? I know. What so are the chances? Gets, so he, if they did that, no one would have found right. him. The current's running the other way. Two days later, they found Rasputin's body, like, stuck up in the ice on the river. His arm is supposed to, supposedly free from the wrappings. Like he had tried to claw himself Come out of on. the river. The immediate autopsy said he died of hypothermia, which I don't think that's... Then people said he died of drowning. Because they think he yeah. was trying to get out of the water. New research proves he died of the gunshot wound to the head. Okay. They shot him like point blank in the forehead. Not per the story. Right. So anyway. So the story gets is disputed, obviously. But they say the mo- main thing is after he had was stabbed in the gut and he had the stomach surgery, he couldn't drink and he couldn't eat sweets. So he didn't eat that stuff. So they they were like he would never would have had that because he didn't he never ate that stuff because it made him sick. Okay. So he never would have sat there and ate the pies and the, drank the wine. So like they that's not what they did. They okay. didn't poison him like that. And then um, what was the other thing? Oh my god, there was something else that they were like he never ever did that. Like that does that wouldn't have happened because he would never do that. They think new research suggests there was a British spy. That lived in Russia, in St. Petersburg. Oswald Painter. Oswald. Mm, Painter, I think. Um, he was living there at the time. There's correspondence that leads you to believe he's talking about this situation. Mm-hmm. Rasputin was trying to tell the Tsar to pull out of the war. If the Tsar pulled out of the war, it, it would have really hurt Britain. Yeah. So they think... The British spy killed Rasputin Interesting. to get him a, from telling the Tsar to pull out of the war. They said, and they that think, what this great duke took the hit? 
No, no, no. They they said they did this. Okay. They were saying they did this. They think they were trying to cover for the British spy. Oh. So they think what happened is Felix had him come to his house. They were all there. They did drug him. Mm-hmm. They were but saying they did it that way. They probably yeah. drugged him with something he would eat or drink. Or somehow, you know, inject him. I don't know how they drugged him. Tied him up and beat him to get information. So he was beaten. But they were saying they beat him after Laura, he this is fascinating. was shot. Fascinating. They think... They drugged him to get hit to tie him up because the dude was like 6'4". He was right, like this he was big, huge. huge guy. They think they drugged him, tied him up, beat him for information. Like, who you were? Who right. did you talk to? Who you, you know, whatever they wanted to get out of him. Um, Then shot him in the head in execution style and killed right. him. And then went to drop him in the river to get rid of him. That's what they think actually happened to Rasputin. I've never heard that. Yeah. And they have pictures of him, like his dead body. The gunshot wound in his forehead. It's done. You couldn't have lived through that. Right. Like, the, right. the gunshot wound in his forehead alone, but you, like, he's all beaten and bruised and wow. bad. Like, it's bad. So that's what they think. The British spy actually killed Rasputin. Laura. Mm-hmm. I have never heard that. Yeah. I, Anyways, he l- supposedly lived through a whole bunch of stuff, but I think really he was drug beaten and shot. <laughs> he was something. That's, yeah. that was a very good. That was very, I don't know what you're talking about. You were agonizing because I thought that was excellent. I don't know. Well, there was so much like. This is what happened. They're like, well, that's not what happened, but this is what happened. That's right. Why do you know what happened? I think that's awesome. I'm going with the English spy. I like that. And then it didn't end well for the family either. Yeah. And then two years. Well, well, so he would say stuff to them all the time. Like, well, like to the Zyrena, like when he healed Alexi the first time, he's like, well, his fate and my fate are intertwined. So if I don't live, he won't live. Well, they really were. I mean, yes. But like he, he. Made it so she was like, well, I can't, now I can't get rid of him because right. he said that. So if I get rid of him, he'll right. die. Like, and then he said, like, if anything happens to me, like when stuff started going down, like if anything happens to me, no one here will live past two years. Because he <sighs> said he was a, which they all did die, but they were all in trouble anyways. There was one story I did hear about him that um, they had separated for a little bit because the czar was tired of his shit and he kind of sent him away yeah. and the son got really, really sick and she wrote to him and brought him back. And they, to this day, don't know what he did, but whatever he did, did heal. And they don't know if he was giving him like aspirin, right. even though it makes you bleed, it calmed it down. They don't know what they were, he was doing, yeah. but they're like, he did something that did help that kid. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. He's a sketchy, sketchy dude. Yeah, he's like, he's so like, like sneak, like the way he would say shit. Well, if I die, your whole family will be dead. So they would protect him. So they would. Unjust him. Yeah, they really should. I can't, because he's something. Yeah. Well, that makes my gold really boring, <laughs> but I'm going back to gold, okay. silver and gold, 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 gold. There's gold in them there hills. Well, gold it has been used forever as well. This could be so boring after Rasputin. <laughs> All right, it's the first metal that was ever known to man. Really? It the earliest use of it in medicine can be traced back to the Chinese in 2500 BC. Oh my God. Um, alchemists in the Middle Ages would create elixirs known as Aurum Potabile from gold. 17th century, Nicholas Culpepper used gold to treat ailments caused by a decrease in the vital spirits like melancholy, fainting, fevers, and falling sicknesses. Gold breaks gold. my melancholy. Yes, yeah. gold keeps me from fainting. It might make me faint if there's enough of it. It <laughs> definitely gives me the fevers. Um, later in the 1800s, mixtures of gold and soda were used to treat syphilis. 
They threw everything in the book at syphilis. Yeah. They've thrown arsenic at syphilis, gold say, at syphilis, arsenic, yeah. mercury at syphilis. Yeah, mercury, that's right. They've, you've known that they've thrown it at yeah. syphilis. It's still fucking around. Yeah. In 1890, German bacteriologist Robert Koch discovered that gold cyanide was bacteriostatic towards TB. I wrote something after TB, but I don't know what I wrote. Um, and it uh, also used to treat rheumatoid arthritis. Really? It was later discovered gold didn't help with TB, but it did help with rheumatoid arthritis. Hmm. So gold, like silver, destroys bacteria, it disinfects, it strengthens the body, and it improves immunity. Hmm. Added bonus, it is a hyperallergenic metal, which is why most people use it for their earrings and things like Hmm. that. Usually most people are not allergic to gold. In India, it is believed that the regular intake of gold is beneficial, and it is taken in the form of powdered tablets, one to two milligrams a day. Really? I just take it in the form of gold schlager. Yeah. It's yeah. the only gold I ever ingest. Oh, my God. I always remember thinking, like, can I drink this? There's gold in it. I don't even know if it's real gold. My Papa Jim used to have a bottle of it on the bar, and it was in this thing that you could, like, tilt Shake it up. So we would, when we were little, we would play, like, bartender. <laughs> You know, down the bar. And we would, that's the only one we would touch because it was like, we wouldn't touch the stuff underneath, but it was on the bar. So we would constantly like put up. Shaking the gold. We wouldn't pour, actually, but we would pretend we were pouring it into all the glasses and stuff. We played Goldschlager. What is it actually? What is Goldschlager? Schnapps? A peppermint schnapps? It tastes like that. It's cinnamony. It's gross. For sure. Yeah. And um, having thrown up on it once, I'll never drink it again. But you puke with gold flags and it's pretty. Yes. Um, so the Japanese also believe in its benefits and they add it to um, foil in tea or sake. Yeah. So how is it used in medicine, Laura? How Again, I'm so glad you asked. Mm-hmm. Again, it's very boring after Rasputin, but we'll keep going. Well, for thousands of years, it's been used in dentistry. Really? Yes. Gold has been found in the mouths of Egyptian mummies. Oh. It's been sold. It's even in my mother's mouth. <laughs> Fillings and crowns were often made of gold, which she has told me when she dies, she wants me to pull her teeth, melt it down, and make jewelry. I don't said, do that. Please don't. I do would that. never. Please don't do that. On what planet would I say to the mortician, while you're at it, pull her pull crowns all her teeth. because I'm going to melt that shit down and make a necklace. Blech. I wouldn't want it. No. Mm-hmm. It's probably not like good gold. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. <laughs> so today, tooth supporting structures are made from gold and other metals to add extra strength to the prosthetics. Like the posts. Yes. Yeah. Now, I have silver fillings. Yeah, I was going to say, my mother's a silver. I have mm. silver fillings still. And they've offered to fix them, but I'm like, look, my teeth aren't broken yet. Like, let's just leave yeah. them alone. And but if they're like antibacterial. Right. Yeah, I would rather. But now the fillings you get, um, I don't know what they use it with, but it doesn't. Because if you look in my mouth, you can see every fucking thing. Right, you don't see them silver. Anymore, yeah. Now they put something else in. So most gold is most closely linked with pharmacology. Medicines with gold nanoparticles are being used to treat malignant tumors, pulmonary TB, skin diseases, and autoimmune diseases. It also has been known to successfully treat H. pylori, and it also treats fungal infections. Okay, again, there were literal pages of chemical compounds Mm -hmm. that I couldn't even understand in gold. So I'm kind of just going to skip how gold actually technically works because I can't go go chemical on you. So in 1929, French scientist Jacques Faustier was the first to use injections of gold sodium orthromylate to treat rheumatoid arthritis. And it had a great effect alleviating pain and swelling, but it was wicked expensive. I mean, 
Gold is super expensive. It's expensive, <laughs> and to get the therapeutic effect of it, you have to inject it for months oh. and months. So even though it worked, it's too fucking expensive. And when you inject that much gold, you get nephrotoxicity. Oh. So it was canned for other treatments. Radioactive gold is used to diagnose and treat cancers because it sticks to the cancer cells. For some oh. reason, it's attracted to cancer cells, so they can inject it, and it will light up everywhere the cancer is. Uh, the injective, injection of microscopic gold nanocapsules into a tumor region with infected will inf inflect, not infect. Um, so if you inject a tumor with these things and you put a laser to it, it lights up the tumor. Mm -hmm. It reflects off the gold and lights up the tumor. It also causes ma malignant cells to die, but the healthy ones live. Huh? It's also shown that gold nanoparticles in x-rays reduce the number of cancer cells in the body and stops tumor growth. Wow. Gold nanoparticles are being used to identify the knot-like structures in the brain that cause Alzheimer's. Because, again, it Ooh. sticks to these knots. Yeah. And it allows the, um, in other neurogenitive diseases, it allows scientists to see the weak spot on the knots and maybe treat them. Nice. When you go to the cancer part of it, I 100% believe there's cures for cancer out there, but there's so much money in cancer, you'll never see the cure. No. Think of all the hospitals, doctors, mm. professions that would be out of business. Gold nanoparticles are being used in all forms of medicine for quicker and cheaper diagnoses from malaria to cancer. Wow. Medical uses of gold compounds, past, present, future, Simon Africa, part of my information. How, God can, how gold can revolutionize medicine, discovery.com. Goldenmedicineusesandbenefits.com. There you go. Very interesting. That was gold. See, would you ever think gold is used for cancer? No, and I think they're going to use more of it, but it's so goddamn expensive. I don't mm -hmm. know how it's getting treated. Yeah. It's pretty interesting, though. Yeah, that is cool. I think this is something we should do every Christmas. Oh, do you? I'm full of topics I want to know about. Well, I have a surprise for you. <gasps> I love surprises. I read an article by Leah Palmieri on decider.com and i thought of you it's a psychiatrist explains what your true crime obsession really says about oh, you because you know i can't get me enough so it's just a little short <laughs> gift for you says i'm a nut job oh yeah you're gonna love this so this girl this writer well, can i just add you share my true crime obsession i do okay. you're a little boy <laughs> everything has to be blood and guts yes it does so Lee, this writer, Leah, interviews Dr. Sharon Packer, who is a psychiatrist, to find out why people, <clears throat> Nicole, are obsessed with true crime. So Dr. Packer- From a young age. Yeah. Dr. Packer first points out, points to Schadenfreude, which is a German phrase from the Freudian era, which, uh, which means people get pleasure from other people's problems and suffering get pleasure there is it. a sense of relief <laughs> that, that the bad thing happened to someone else not you so that's one reason people like it because okay they got killed but i didn't get killed they my odds are in my favor right. yeah one more person got killed <laughs> i wasn't it um there's also something a little darker oh, that no. people don't like to admit when reading a true crime story or watching it unfold or listening to a podcast people are relieved it wasn't them that did it Everyone has impulses and aggressions, and we're relieved to see we are more in control of ours than some people are oh, of I theirs. I don't know about that, Laura. That people, we're not the people who act on them. <laughs> it makes you feel better. Um, 
people like watching true crime series also because it gives them insight into investigations. That's into why I like proceedings. it. Um, in case some devastating crime happens to them or someone they know, I can solve it. It's like a dry run. No one likes to be unprepared. <laughs> so that is why people like. I think true crime. I am fascinated at more like why could somebody do or how could somebody do this? Well, that's I think that's the thing of like oh I didn't do it, but some it's more like could I do that? Like yeah. I don't think I could do that. Oh, I, yeah. I could see how they could do that. It's more like wait a minute, am I like that? Like, could I actually do that? Like, no, I couldn't do that. I feel better. Like, I, you When know. I was flying home from Savannah on the plane, there was a movie on there called No Man of God. Mm-hmm. And it is about, I was telling you about it. It's about Ted Bundy and the criminal profiler who talked to him like the last three years before he was killed. So I guess Ted Bundy would never talk to anybody in the FBI. He wanted nothing to do with them. He thought they were all Charlotte. He just hated them. So this guy... And it's played by Elijah Wood, who is perpetually 12 years old. So yeah. I, it took me a minute to really take him seriously because he looks like he's about 10. He's probably 55 in I this know. movie. He but never changes. He, no, he looks the same no matter what. So he, um, whatever he does, he gets, he and Ted Bundy start talking. And one of the things Ted Bundy and he start talking about is, and the guy who played Ted Bundy was awesome like he was awesome you thought you were talking you were watching ted bundy because yes i am old enough to actually remember ted bundy getting fried i remember the seeing him his interview on tv which is in this i remember the interview i remember watching it riveted like holy shit because yeah. i had just read about it it was crazy so they're talking about you know ted bundy's like i'm not crazy and the guy's like i don't think you're crazy you couldn't pull off half of what you pull off and he's like um he says to the fbi agent, he's like could you kill somebody and he's like well, I'm, I'm an FBI agent. Of course, I could kill somebody. He's like, no. Could you kill somebody? Could you mm-hmm. really kill somebody? Like, and want to, like, like just take right, pleasure in it. Right. Yeah. And he, the FBI agent's like, well, well, yeah, like, I like to have sex as much as you do. And I would know how to kill somebody. And I would know how to hide a body. He goes through the whole thing, the whole process. He goes, but I wouldn't do that. I'm not that person. And Bundy's like, but you could. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. You could. You could. And... He just takes him. It, there's no crimes that, like, you, we already know what Bundy did, so it does not cover his crimes. Yeah, it's just the- You're mainly talking about he never, until the very end of the movie, even admits to doing it mm-hmm. because he didn't even admit to doing them until they set an execution date, and then he thought it would get him out of it. Yeah. So it's, if you have the chance to watch it, watch it. Okay. It is awesome. I loved it. Loved it, loved it, loved it. Okay, well, thank you for my well, little added bonus. Bunny. Oh, all of them. All of them, all of them. All right. Well, that's part one of the December episodes coming at you. Mm-hmm. Hope you enjoy them. I think we are going to do that every Christmas because it's fun. Maybe we'll get Mike in on the action at some point if he ever comes up with a topic. Oh, we tried this time, but he just couldn't come up with something. Useless. He was useless this time. So uh, enjoy whatever celebrations you do this season, mm-hmm. and we will catch you soon. Bye. Bye. Like, subscribe, rate, and review the Scissors and Scrubs podcast on whatever podcast app you listen to us on. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Scissors and Scrubs. And email us any of your stories or thoughts to scissorsandscrubs at gmail.com.